Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Women's health is so important, and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this month's installment of For the World, our sustainability series focused on everything motorsport and the environment. Today's topic is all about the 2026 regulations. What are they? How they relate to sustainability? What are the debates and controversies, of which there are many, of course, (laughs) and what is still up in the air? For a refresher on the current regulations, tune in to our Downforce, Dirty Air, and DRS episode from last April, as well as our 2023 regulations refresh from February. And with that, we'll dive into what's coming in 2026. I'm Tiggy. I'm Sarah. And I'm Chessa. All right, let's talk a little bit about the why behind these regulation changes are happening. Even though 2026 does seem far away, we know teams are always thinking ahead and it's definitely already a hot topic of conversation. So why now and what are the main drivers behind the 2026 regulations? Yeah, it does seem far away, but it's definitely rapidly approaching. So the FIA published the regulations for the 2026 engines last August, and there's quite a long and technical PDF that spells it all out if you're interested in that kind of thing. But long story short, this will be the biggest overhaul to the rules since the introduction of the V6 turbocharged engines back in 2014. Wow. And throughout F1 history, Regulation changes really have typically been undertaken for two main reasons. So one, to improve safety, which we all know and love, and two, to limit costs. And that's still the case for 2026, but a big and more recent driving factor for this is now sustainability, given F1's desire to be carbon neutral by 2030. So for 2026, there are essentially four key pillars that F1 is aiming for with these changes. Number one, environmental sustainability. So think sustainable fuels, more electric power. Number two, financial sustainability, which includes a power unit specific cost cap, other cost saving mechanisms, which we'll talk about. Number three, attractive to new power unit manufacturers, which we've already seen succeed with new entrants like Audi and Honda. 
And number four, which is I think the fun one, maintaining the spectacle. So keeping the V6 engines, the power, the noise, we will dive into all these and unpack them. So the first pillar is all about environmental sustainability. The first key aspect here is the use of 100% sustainable fuels. So as a reminder, right now, if one car is used 10% ethanol fuel, but we'll be transitioning to a 100% sustainable fuel for 2026. For a deep dive on that, listen to our For the World episode from June 8th called What is Drop-In Sustainable Fuel? We'll get you all the details you need to know. The second aspect of this sustainability component is using even more electrical power. So for the engine, some key things are staying the same. There's still going to be turbo V6s and will still produce the same amount of power, which is about a thousand horsepower. But what's different is that they're getting rid of the MGUH entirely, one part of the power unit. And instead, the engines will rely on a much more powerful hybrid system than what exists currently. And for a bit of a deep dive into power units and what MGU, H, and Ks are, listen to our episode on what is a power unit from July 2022. It's on the back end of the French Grand Prix preview. Yeah, exactly. So the goal is same power, but larger proportion of that derived from electricity. And what they're aiming for is about 50-50 internal combustion engine and electrical power. For context, it's about 80-20 right now in favor of ICE. And we'll get to the debate around that later. But just to put some numbers around the electrical component, the future MGUK in 2026 will almost triple the amount of electrical power produced by today's hybrid components. So Right now, 120 kilowatts of energy are currently deployed by both the MGUK and the MGUH, and the goal for 2026 is for the MGUK to produce around 350 kilowatts. On its own. And Yeah, exactly, on its own. And what's cool is that with more electrical power comes less fuel usage, so it's all kind of one big cycle because more power is being generated from the electrical components rather than the ICE. So for some fuel number comparisons... In 2013, so 10 years ago, 160 kilograms of fuel was used during a race, 100 kilograms in 2020 with the introduction of more hybrid components, and in 2026, the goal is 70 kilograms of fuel used during a race. So it's a big difference. Yeah, it's it's so much better to be able to see the comparison numbers to see how much of a difference it's making. Um, And yeah, this segues nicely into another aspect of our regulations, or our regulations, the regulations, although they could be ours too, um, the maximum energy flow rate. So right now, F1 establishes a maximum maximum fuel flow rate, um, but the new regulations introduce a maximum energy flow rate as well. So what this means in practice is that Strategies that maximize the amount of electrical energy harvested during a race will end up winning out and that teams will gain performance on the track by making their fuels more efficient so they can end up using less of it. Lighter the car, the faster it goes. So all in all, the sustainable fuel and less of it plus more electric power will help to satisfy that environmental aspect of the regulation changes for 2026. And now we'll talk about the second pillar, which is financial sustainability. There is a specific power unit cost cap in place that will limit spending to $95 million between 2022 and 2025, and then that'll grow to $130 million from 2026 onwards. 
And a big factor that helps teams on the financial front is getting rid of the really expensive MGUH, which has been controversial for a long time. It's been an inhibitor for potential new engine suppliers since it doesn't have road relevance for suppliers that have road divisions of their business. F1 is also attempting for more part standardization, which will lower costs across the board. So what is the point of all of this besides saving money? This brings us to that third pillar, which is making F1 attractive to new power unit manufacturers. A big goal of these new regulations was to encourage new manufacturers to enter in two different ways. First, by lowering costs and leveling the playing field. So this is hoping to make power units cheaper to design and build and simplifying the current engines. And so as a result, new entrants have a chance to be competitive right away rather than needing to spend years and years and a ton of money catching up to everyone else. And getting rid of the MGUH was apparently a requirement from Audi and even from Porsche, who's no longer joining F1. So that's a big component here. Wow. Yeah, it's super interesting. We'll talk a little bit about the debate of how much F1 should be catering to like the automotive industry as a whole, but I find it super fascinating. But the second part of this, the attractive to new power unit manufacturers that I think is so thrilling and really has major potential to impact our world beyond F1 is the alignment and the synergy with manufacturers working towards their own sustainable and electrification technology. Like we said, it's kind of an interesting push and pull of F1 often spearheading innovation, but also needing to follow the wave of the automotive industry to a certain degree, much of which, as we know, is now pointing towards hybrid and electric. So think Honda, think Audi, even Alpine and their big electrification plans. We know that's true of a lot of the teams on the grid, Mercedes, et cetera. We've said it before, but Basically, F1 can be a big R&D lab for these companies. Honda was directly quoted saying their reason for coming back is essentially just that. So now there will be six engine manufacturers on the grid in 2026. So we have Alpine Renault, Audi Sauber, Ferrari, Honda, Mercedes, and Red Bull, who is partnering with Ford. So this is more than F1 has had since 2008, which is crazy. It feels like there's a lot of players in the mix, and I wonder if over time a few of them are going to end up winning out, and it's going to be like up and down in terms of the number of them. But cool to see so many trying for it right now. All right, let's finish up with the last pillar. This is the fun one, maintaining the spectacle, the circus, all the fun and glam that is F1. So essentially what we take maintaining the spectacle to mean is keeping the V6 engines keeping that really high caliber performance, the speed and the sound, while at the same time not compromising on carbon footprint. So kind of like trying to balance all these different things. There was already a controversy and complaints over the switch from V8 to V6 in terms of lower noise. But keeping the V6 engines should hopefully satisfy our F1 purists to some degree who feel who need to feel it in their chests. I think like We've had this conversation with a lot of people. I had never went to a race with V8, but even V6, when the cars come by, it is like fully exhilarating. And I can't <laughs> imagine my body could take a V8. So I'm happy with the V6. <laughs> um, yeah. And there is still some debate over the fact that more electrical power will mean quieter engines. That's a lot of things that you see in like Formula E. It's, it's quite quiet, um, but only time will tell. And there's still a hope that F1 can have the best of both worlds. And of course, there are a lot of debates on the reality of that, but I think we're very optimistic. One thing that's super interesting is Stefano Domenicali in the past couple weeks has been making the rounds saying that he is positive 
that the new 2026 cars are actually going to be louder than the current generation, (laughs) which is super interesting. He was basically saying it's a combo of the V6 and kind of the way the actual engine and cars are designed. They're really trying to keep the noise, again, just for kind of this fan experience. And he mentioned understanding that it's really, really important to the fans. So that's something they're keeping in mind here. It's so funny. I think all the sources are split on will it be quieter or will it be louder? And I think you have your pessimists saying quieter and your optimists saying louder. But I don't think we'll know until we hear the first sound coming out of the engine. I think it'll just be the exact same and no one will tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a colleague going in and trying to put amplifiers on the car. <laughs> He's sliding that into the regulations written in. If your engine is quieter, it doesn't count. <laughs> but it gets to this point that there's, I think, a general feeling in much of the world that lowering carbon footprint lowers living standards or lowers like entertainment and that in that in the case of f1 like taking measures to decrease the carbon footprint really decreases the entertainment value in some way but the goal with these regs which i think they've done a really elegant job of doing and especially with sustainable fuel is really to have the best of both worlds and kind of refute that so i'm optimistic but Before we get into some of the debates, one more thing to mention here is safety. Like we said earlier, throughout F1 history, the goal has been for regulation changes to improve both safety and cost. And these regulations are hitting on both. So we explained the financial piece, but on the safety point, with the MGUK now enclosed in the chassis next to the battery, next to the CE, the control electronics, all the high voltage equipment will be within the safety cell, which should make for an even safer car than we have currently. So there's also talk that maybe the cars will be smaller, even if not much lighter, which could potentially contribute to safer, maybe better racing, but we will have to see, um, which brings us to (laughs) the controversies. Yeah. So for the challenges and controversies, like we were saying, with more reliance on the hybrid system, there is concern among some fans that noise will be quieter. A lot of fans were really hoping that the use of sustainable fuel would mean a return back to a greater cylinder engine like a V8, V10, even a V12. But F1 really put a stake in the ground that no more fossil fuels will be burned in F1 because of the new regs, which we love to see. Another potential concern about the 2026 regs is racing-related. Some people are concerned that the car won't be able to recharge the battery enough over the course of a lap to maintain consistent deployment, which potentially could affect wheel-to-wheel racing, have an impact on drag, and potentially more. Yeah, in the ever-entertaining rivalry between Christian and Toto, which we are always here for, (laughs) they have differing views on the 50-50 electric ICE split. So Christian wants less power generated from the electrical component, arguing for even a 5 to 10% reduction in favor of more ICE power. He thinks that will help racing and the quality of it. Meanwhile, Toto says there's, quote, zero chance that the regulations will change now that manufacturers have already signed up. Vassar, a Ferrari chimed in as well because we always need the trifecta. Um <laughs> said they need to figure out if the potential impact on speed and on racing warrants a small change in the 50-50 balance in favor of more ICE power. But as with anything, this is kind of what we were getting at before. There's debate over how much F1 really should or shouldn't be letting the the broader automotive and road car industry inform their rules and regulations, which I find interesting given most F1 teams are owned by car companies. But 
The question really is, should the sport transition even more towards hybrid and electric just because that's the way the automotive industry is going? Or is its place truly just to be for the sake of entertainment and a good show? There's also disagreement over F1 stipulating an exact 50-50 power unit split versus giving manufacturers a bit more freedom within reason, things like that, which will hopefully be figured out. And we don't have all the answers for, but I think they're super interesting questions that people have differing views on. I think personally for me, it's it's cool to see F1 like quote unquote like cater a little bit to the general automotive industry, but I do think they can be their own sort of like vertical of the spectacle of the racing and still try to do their best without necessarily having to just completely cater to other people. But this is definitely the question of creating healthy competition and then the chance that one manufacturer will get the power unit right and then we have another case of single team dominance on our hands. So it is going to be like a bit of a balance between everyone and and no one's going to be fully happy. But again, like right now we have the single team dominance of like Red Bull getting it right. And then obviously Mercedes had that and they were loving it. Um, But this is the constant F1 age old debate of, is this good for the sport? Should F1 keep this in mind and try to level the playing field when crafting new regulations? The the thing that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to regulations is the chassis regulations. They are still currently outstanding. There hasn't been an announcement on that yet. Uh, we're not mechanical engineers, although I think sometimes we, we get really into the weeds <laughs> and think we could be. But it does seem that seeing an F1 car and its performance is contingent around all these different things happening in concert. It will be really, really important to see what the chassis regulations end up being. And it's hard to get the full picture when we only have the engine regulations signed off on. But Toto, of course, has made his comments. He basically said that the chassis can make up for any potential fears of drivers having to downshift on the straights, not having good wheel-to-wheel racing, some of the concerns that other people were, were raising. And he called the current chassis heavy and, quote, big like an elephant. So hopefully we'll see what changes <laughs> are in st- store there. And like Tiggy mentioned, they they might even be smaller this time around. And it's funny, on the flip side, Christian made a comment about how he's worried the chassis will end up in a Frankenstein situation where <laughs> given given potential performance compromises from the power unit, it's going to place way more stress on the chassis to overcompensate for that. So it, it's kind of interesting that the engine regs have been announced and the chassis regs haven't because obviously they work in tandem. So very curious about that. Yeah, would you rather have Frankenstein or an elephant? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Take your pick. Um, One last note before we hit a couple of sustainability headlines and sign off is the question of how effective these regulations are in terms of improving F1's sustainability impact and getting towards carbon net zero. So as we've talked about before, the bulk of F1's carbon footprint comes from logistics and travel and really less than 1% is coming from the actual cars. There are only 20 of them after all. But what we think is really the bigger, more important point is the ripple effects more broadly. You have these big manufacturers and automotive companies developing electrification technology. You have oil companies developing sustainable fuel and really all as a direct result of these 2026 regulations. So in my opinion, even though people throw around the 1% number a lot, it has the potential to be hugely impactful on the automotive industry as a whole. So I think that's a point in favor of F1 following the automotive industry to a certain degree. If 
we want sports to actually improve our planet and our world, they they do have to keep these things in mind, you know, not compromising on entertainment too much or you won't get an audience, but I do think they're towing the yeah. line well. So And now for some headlines. First up is race calendar regionalization. We've talked about this a bit when the 2024 calendar announcement came out, but really the driving factor behind the changes towards further regionalization was to help reduce emissions and the complications that come from moving equipment and people all over the world because it's both extremely taxing on the teams and not environmentally friendly to be, for example, flying from Baku to North America, back across the world, back again. So for next season, they've at least attempted to take a stab at this. Some key highlights, Australia, Japan, and China are now grouped together, and Qatar and Abu Dhabi are paired together. There's still a long ways to go. For example, there's a huge trip from Vegas back to the Middle East, which is basically covering half the world, but definitely some good forward progress here. Yeah, I was listening to the most recent Formula Y episode with Ellen Jones, who's F1's head of ESG, and she was talking about regionalization and how annually F1 creates a sustainability plan with all race promoters across six areas. So plastic and waste, fan travel, energy at site, community, carbon. So definitely a lot about regionalization, but also what are these races doing on the ground? So more to listen to there if you're interested, but super cool. That's super cool too because we talked about this after Austria about kind of like the standard – does F1 go to each of the different like race promoters and create standardization of the fan experience? So it's cool that they're thinking about that from a sustainability aspect as well. In other sustainability news, Lewis Hamilton, he has an Extreme E team, Team X44. They put out a six-part video series on climate around the world. You can find it on Lewis's YouTube channel. It's really amazing. It tracks people across six regions – to highlight the impacts of climate change on them and their communities. And this is kind of like a big driving factor behind Extreme E because Extreme E, they go to extreme places all over the world and try and try to kind of like integrate and learn about the different communities as well. So that's really awesome that he's put that out. And finally, sort of like Christmas coming early for me because I love Mercedes and I love sustainability <laughs> is that the annual Mercedes sustainability report was released last week. We're going to dive into this in more detail next month, perhaps even with a special guest. But some quick highlights to note, the biofuel trucks used for the last three summer European races in 2022 reduced freight travel emissions for those races by 88%. And they've continued that this season for the European swing as well, but really, really great. Upgrade. Hopefully seeing similar numbers this summer. They also saw a 21% reduction in overall air travel emissions, a 46% reduction in race team travel emissions, mostly through their investments in sustainable aviation fuel. They diverted 98% of waste from landfill to energy recovering and recycling, which is huge. They saw 34% reduction in water consumption and a 10% reduction in energy per team member since 2018. And since social is also a big part of sustainability, one highlight worth noting there, in the first half of 2023, 37% of new team members who joined came from underrepresented groups. So love to see that. And with that, hope you are enjoying the summer break and we'll chat to you soon.